Let's take our Bibles this evening, and we're going to be uh, getting our Bibles open to the book of Acts, and uh, also the book of Romans. Acts is where we're going to uh, start reading a few verses this evening. Uh, so the uh, book of the Acts of the Apostles, one of the grave injustices in our world has been that of racial injustice. We've been talking about the impact of that on anti-Semitism in a couple of messages. I want to uh, turn one last time to the subject of Israel and uh, speak to you for a few moments this evening on the subject, Israel will be back. Israel will be back. Racial injustice is horrible, and uh, throughout the history of humanity, there's been a number of ethnic groups that have enslaved and um, done atrocious things to other groups, other ethnic groups. Uh, there's hardly any group of people who have not uh, punished, uh, abused, and enslaved uh, other ethnic groups. There's been the, the uh, black uh, enslaving of whites. There's been the whites enslaving of blacks. There's been people just about of every ethnic group in the world that has abused others. And it's always horrific. Abuse is horrific whenever it surfaces. And so we never want to minimize the horror of the abuse and enslavement of human beings, regardless of who is enslaving who. And we've noted that we've mentioned that perhaps one of the most, if not the most, repeated ethnic abuses throughout the last 2,000 years have been directed to Jewish people. Anti-Semitism has been a horrific problem uh, for the last 2,000 years. It ebbs and flows, it increases and diminishes, and, uh, but it seems to always be there, and uh, it's a horrific thing. And uh, some of that is, is uh, the result of confusion about what the Bible teaches about Israel. And so, unfortunately, there is a growing confusion in our generation of evangelical Christians regarding the role of the Jewish people in the present and in the future. And I mentioned uh, in uh, one of the two previous messages that uh, the December uh, 2017 uh, LifeWay Research uh, published a research project entitled Evangelical Attitudes Toward Israel, and their research indicated that, that there is a, a significant decrease in favorable attitudes toward Israel amongst evangelical believers in evangelical churches. And uh, we've noted that that is in part due to replacement theology and uh, Reformed theology, which has its roots in Roman Catholicism and in the Protestant Reformation, that taught that Israel was replaced. God has set them aside and has no purpose for them in the present or the future. And Gentile Christianity has taken the place of Israel as the apple of God's eye, as the people group through whom God will work for here on out. And there's no future for Israel. Uh, there's a growing favorable promotion of Palestinians over Israelis in a, on American university campuses and uh, viewing Israel as the problem in all Middle East conflict. 
And so uh, all of this has just uh, contributed in some uh, measure to the, the problem that Jewish people face as persecution um, raises its ugly head from place to place. But I want to I say this evening that God is not through with Israel. There is a specific plan God has for the Israeli people, for the Israeli people as a nation, and, uh, uh, and I believe that the replacement in theology and reformed theology is uh, based on an allegorical interpretation of the Word of God where they think they can twist and adjust things as it fits, and a literal hermeneutic or a literal historical interpretation of the Bible always produces a, uh, a, a view that Israel as a literal people have a future in God's program. And so uh, how one approaches the Bible will influence whether they feel liberty to change things in the Bible to make it fit what they perceive in the present or future. Now, I've, I've, um, I've looked at a, we've looked at a couple of messages the last couple of weeks. Uh, the first one was, what does it mean to pray thy kingdom come? And we looked at Acts 1, 6, when the disciples asked Jesus right before the ascension whether he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel right then. And we talked about the fact that that was the right question at the right time and at the right place. But it wasn't God's timing for them to know when he was going to restore that kingdom. But he didn't question, Jesus didn't question the fact that it was going to be restored to Israel. It just wasn't the right time for that to be revealed. Then we looked last time at the subject, God's promise of a redeemed people. We went back to the Old Testament book of Jeremiah and we looked at the new covenant that God made with Israel that the day would come when all Israel will be saved. Every Israeli on the face of the earth will be a born again believer in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. That was promised uh, through the prophet Jeremiah. And that has never been reneged on by God. That is still held out there as a promise for the future. And so I want us one more time to, to look at this subject uh, from some other perspectives for a few moments. I want to start in the book of Acts. Why Acts? Well, we saw in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, that the disciples were asking, is it the time to restore the kingdom? And Jesus said, it's not time for you to know. But I got a job for you to do. I want you to go all over Jerusalem, and then I want you to go all over Judea and Samaria, and I want you to go to the uttermost part of the earth, and I want, to, want you to tell everyone what I have done in your life. I want you to be witnesses of what you know personally. I want you to tell everybody what you've experienced as a result of my death, death on the cross of Calvary and my resurrection. I want you to be a witness all over the world. Well, the book of Acts then chronicles how that occurred uh, in that time. And, and it's, uh, the book of Acts records the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ westward, beginning in Jerusalem and then going in a westerly direction for the most part in the book of Acts. The record is in a westerly direction as the Apostle Paul became center stage and he took the gospel uh, north and west across Asia Minor or modern-day Turkey and jumped over into Europe and the gospel eventually made it all the way to, uh, to Rome and beyond that, uh, Spain. And the Apostle Paul's uh, missionary endeavors uh, continued to push the gospel in a westerly direction. Well, that's the, that's the Gentile world. The, uh, the Apostle Paul became the prominent leader in the propagation of the gospel in a Gentile world. 
And the book of Acts primarily is about the evangelization of Gentiles all over the world. And the churches being established to preach the gospel. The, the nation of Israel, uh, you know, they're the ones that had all the promises. As the gospel spread westward through the Gentile world, that, that raised questions about Israel. Uh, what about Israel? Israel is the, is the nation that received the eternal promises of God. The, the Abrahamic covenant, the, the Palestinian covenant, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant. I mean, Israel are the ones that got all the promises. What about Israel? They're the chosen of God people that would compose his eternal kingdom. What about Israel? As the gospel spreads westward through the Gentile world. They read from their scriptures that the descendants of Abraham through Isaac and, and Jacob would be the ones who would inherit the blessings of God on an earthly kingdom forever, ruled by a descendant of King David. They were favored. They were elected. They were chosen of God. They would be the people who would have a kingdom and a king forever. And now a new message is being preached. This new message about a crucifixion and a resurrection and a Jewish spiritual leader who claimed to be the Messiah by the name of Jesus. And this was a new message that began to be preached, and that message went westward. Now, you're there in Acts, so I want you to go to Acts 13. I want to just flip through a couple of chapters and read a statement here and a statement there. I want you to see how that the book of Acts records a shift, something changed in the direction of what the Bible has been about regarding the people of Israel and the promises to them. Acts chapter 13 and verse number 46. The Bible says, Then Paul and Barnabas waxed bold and said, It was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you, but seeing ye have put it from you, and judge yourselves unworthy of everlasting life, lo, we turn to the Gentiles. And then chapter 15 and verse number 13. And after they held their peace, James answered and said, Men and brethren, hearken unto me. Simeon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. And do this agree the words of the prophets, as it is written, After this I will return and will build again the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and will build again the ruins thereof, and I will set it up, that the residue of men might seek after the Lord, and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called, saith the Lord, who doeth all these things, known unto God are all his works." From the beginning of the world. Wherefore, my sentence is that we trouble not them which from among the Gentiles are turned to God. A couple pages further, chapter 18 and verse number 6. And they were opposed themselves. And when they opposed themselves and blasphemed, he shook his raiment, said unto them, Your blood be upon your own heads. I am clean. From henceforth I will go unto the Gentiles. And then one last place, Acts 28, the end of the book of Acts, verse number 17. The Apostle Paul is in Rome. He's been transported to Rome. And when he arrived at Rome, he gathered the Jewish leaders together. 
to talk to them. Verse number 17, and it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. So he gathered them together. Come down to verse 22. Verse 22, speaking to these Jewish leaders in Rome. But we desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. For as concerning this sect, this, this is the Jewish leaders, by the way, speaking to Paul. The Jewish leaders says, we want to hear what you think concerning this sect. That's Christianity. That's the message that Paul had been preaching across the Gentile world. These Jewish leaders in Rome said, we want to hear what you're thinking. We know that everywhere it is spoken against. Everywhere the Jews are speaking against this newfound religion, this new sect called Christianity. And when they appointed him a day, there came many to him into his lodging, to whom he expounded and testified the kingdom of God, persuading them concerning Jesus, both out of the law of Moses and out of the prophets, from morning till evening. And some believed the things which were spoken, and some believed not. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed. After that, Paul had spoken one word, well spake the Holy Ghost by Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, unto our fathers, saying, Go unto this people and say, Hearing ye shall hear and shall not understand, and seeing ye shall see and not perceive, for the heart of this people, speaking of the Jews, is wax gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, their eyes have they closed, lest they should see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their heart, should be converted, and I should heal them. All that's quoting the Old Testament. Be it known, Paul now concludes, be it known therefore unto you, that the salvation of God is sent unto the Gentiles, and that they will hear it. And so the chosen elect nation of Israel seems to be rejected. They rejected their king, Jesus, the Messiah. And now the Gentiles are embracing this new doctrine that Paul is preaching. And so the, 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 what, do you, what do we have to say about that? The conclusion seemed to be one of two things. Either Christianity is false and this new movement is phony or... God has given up on his chosen people. The covenants have failed and the elect nation is no longer God's chosen people. It seemed like those were the only two alternatives. That either Christianity is false and Israel is still the people that God is focusing on. Or God has given up on Israel and all of their, their, uh, their covenants have failed. Well, that's the claim of Reformed theology and replacement theology. Take your pick. Which is right? Which is wrong? Well, I would say both are wrong. But Reformed theology and replacement theology say God did give up on Israel. He has replaced Israel with the Gentile Christians who have been saved. And that is God's forever focus. And he will never focus again on Israel. And so this... This uh, development uh, throughout the book of Acts that turned the attention away from Israel and over and over again, it's the Gentiles, it's the Gentiles, it's the Gentiles, it's the Gentiles, throughout the book of Acts, raises the question, what about Israel? Did God give up on them? Did God renege on his promises? 
Have all the covenants failed? Have we Gentile Christians replaced Israel as the people of God from this day forward for eternity? And we'll get all the blessings that he promised to Israel. And Israel is no longer the people that God will work through? Well, that's, that's a serious question. And the answer to that question is related to anti-Semitism fueled in the Christian world by the view that Israel is nothing special as a people of God. Well, about 25 years after Jesus, after Jesus was crucified, about 25 years after Jesus was crucified, the Apostle Paul, for those 25 years, have, has spread the gospel through the Gentile world and has planted churches throughout the world westward from Jerusalem. And on his third missionary journey, he, he wrote a group of Christians who were all the way over in Rome. He wrote them a treatise. We call it the book or the epistle of Paul the Apostle to the Romans. And this epistle sent to the church at Rome is, is the most detailed treatise of what Christianity is. This sect that is rejected by the Jewish people but is embraced primarily by the Gentiles. What is this sect called Christianity? And so the Apostle Paul sat down and wrote his most detailed letter, a very detailed letter, whose purpose was to lay down the foundation of what Christianity is. And the book of Romans falls into three major categories. You'll see them on the next screen. The book of Romans starts off with eight chapters about the gospel how the gospel saves a sinner. It's doctrinal in nature about the doctrine of salvation. And for eight chapters, the, the truth of how God saves sinners is, um, is uh, laid out in great, in great detail. And then there is what is oftentimes called a national portion, three chapters, chapter 19 and 11, that deals with the nation of Israel. How does the gospel relate to Israel? Have we replaced Israel? Is Israel no more? And so the Apostle Paul, who has been the prominent leader in the Gentile expansion of this new religion, so to speak, as it was being viewed, the Apostle Paul sat down and he, and he dealt with the thorny question of what is the relationship of, of the gospel to the nation of Israel. And then he turned at chapter 12 to the practical part of the letter. And he dealt with how the gospel bears on our conduct as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. So, doctrinal, national, and practical. That's what the book of Romans is all about. The middle section then is addressing this thorny question of Israel. The Apostle Paul considers the weight of the questions about Israel and he delves into a three chapter analysis of the relationship between the gospel spread to the Gentile peoples and Israel as God's chosen people for eternity. How does that relate? How do they impact one another? Three chapters to discuss that. Now, on the next screen, you see what is in these three chapters. In chapter number, uh, chapter nine, the Apostle Paul dealt with Israel's past 
as the elect nation of God. In the, uh, the chapter 10, he addressed with Israel's present, that they have been rejected. And in chapter 11, he dealt with Israel's restoration, that God's not done yet. Israel's coming back. He's got a plan for the nation of Israel. So Paul attacked this thorny question of the relationship of the spread of the gospel in the Gentile world and how that gospel relates to Israel as a nation. Now, let's think for a moment about each of these chapters. Chapter 9 deals with Israel's past, their election of God. And in that Ninth chapter, he describes what it means that Israel was elected. And let me say that Reformed theology teachers will sometimes use this chapter to find statements to bolster their teaching that God elected some people to go to heaven. There's nothing they can do about it. And God elected some people to go to hell. And there's nothing they can do about it. It's all in the predetermined will and plan and election of God, and they approach this chapter from the vantage point of God's electing people to their eternal destination. I would suggest that that's not the purpose of this chapter in the book of Romans, as Paul is dealing with the thorny question of the the covenants of the nation, not the individual people, not individual people's salvation, not individual people's destiny after they die, but the nation of Israel. And in chapter number, uh, chapter number nine, he describes them as an elect nation, a people group, a nation of people that God chose to work through to accomplish his purposes. And that particular chapter ends, um, the, the verse 14 to 33, as you see, he answers three questions. Is God unrighteous for electing Israel? And, and, and why, if God elected them, and uh, why does God hold men accountable for what they do? And, and why didn't Israel attain righteousness? Why uh, is Israel the elect nation that God chose? Why did they miss it so desperately? And I want you to turn to Romans 9. I want you to see how this chapter ends because it's a, a powerful statement to the the importance of the gospel of salvation through faith. Verse number 30, Romans 9, verse number 30. What should we say then? That the Gentiles, which followed not after righteousness, have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel, which followed after the law of righteousness, hath not attained the law of righteousness. Wherefore, or why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it were by the works of the law. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and rock of offense. Whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. So Paul ends the chapter on Israel's past election. They were the elect nation by noting that their failure nationally was that they corrupted the law, particularly the Mosaic law, which was given for the purpose of proving their guilt and their inability to earn righteousness. They corrupted that into a means of earning righteousness. As in, and an entire nation uh, had fallen prone to that deception. Uh, it's the deception of thinking that you can earn your way 
into God's favor, into a righteous standing before God by your own efforts. So Israel's past and then Israel's present was dealt with in chapter 10. The fact that they were rejected because of their corruption of God's truth. And this is the chapter that so many times we go to when we're witnessing to somebody. We go to Romans 10 to read to them the gospel. Uh, This chapter argues that Israel, uh, the rejection of Israel was deserved because of corrupting the doctrine of salvation of the gospel and their um, lifting up of righteousness by good works. So they deserved as uh, as a people to be rejected because of what they did to the gospel in their their leadership, their priests, their, their rabbis and all the rest. Then the Apostle Paul very deliberately dealt with the deliverance from rejection. Deliverance from the rejection of Israel is available to every individual Israel even though nationally the elect nation has been set aside for a period of time. And so he began to deal specifically with the, the message of salvation. How do we get saved? And he dealt with the, the uh, substance of the gospel. He dealt with the spread of the gospel. Uh, how beautiful are the feet of those who go and take the gospel of peace and spread it all over the world. And then he dealt with the scorning of the gospel at the end of the chapter. And, uh, and finally has quotes in verse number 21. Is to Israel, God says, all day long have I stretched forth my hands unto a disobedient and a gainsaying people. They had scorned the gospel of Jesus Christ in spite of God's appeal to them. So Israel's past as a nation, they were elected of God to be the people through whom God would work. In the present, they are rejected by God because they corrupted the truth of the word of God and they built a religion on works instead of attaining righteousness by faith. And they are rejected by God. Uh, And the the only hope for them is individually to come under the sound of the gospel and to be born again. Now, that brings us to the last chapter. I want to spend our last couple of minutes here in the last chapter. What is Israel's future? Israel's future is a future of restoration. God's plan is for Israel to be saved in accordance with the new covenant we looked at in the last message. And so all of chapter 11 focuses on that. It focuses on the fact that Jewish people are still getting saved. He started out in verse 1. I say then, hath God cast away his people? God forbid, for I also am an Israelite. Paul said, I got saved, and I'm a Jew, so there's hope for Israel. And he talked about, uh, he used a couple of illustrations and talked about the fact that, that uh, Jewish individuals will continue to get saved. Then you come down to verse number 11. And in verse number 11, he begins to explain what in the world is going on in relationship between the gospel being spread to the Gentile nations And Israel, verse number 11, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Did Israel stumble so the entire nation of Israel would forever fall away from God's design and not have any future? 
He said, God forbid, but rather through their fall is come unto the Gentiles. Salvation is coming to the Gentiles. God had a master plan. God, God in Israel's corruption of the truth of the word of God, God allowed that nation to be set aside in order that the focus could be on evangelizing the Gentile world. Now, you know, if you've read regularly your Old Testament, you know that in the Old Testament, Israel was commanded to evangelize the world. Israel was God's instrument in world evangelism. And they utterly failed, hated the Gentiles, despised the Gentiles, became filled with the pride of their own Jewish people, and, and, and they just really blew it. Now, God says... Has Israel fallen that, that, they, that, that they should forever fall? Have they stumbled that they should fall? God forbid. No, it is through their fall that we're finally evangelizing the world, God said. I had a purpose in setting them aside. And my purpose was the evangelization of the Gentile world. Now, what's God's purpose in evangelizing the Gentile world? Well, verse 11 says, for to provoke them to jealousy. The fact the gospel is preached all over the world and we relish in the fact that we bow our knee to a Jewish carpenter's son who is eternal God. We, we love Israel. They gave us most of our Bible. They gave us our Savior. We love Israel. The fact that we... New Testament Christians from a Gentile part of the world have embraced a Jewish preacher who is God incarnate in the flesh. And our allegiance and our loyalty and our love goes to this Jewish person. God said, I'm going to use that to provoke them to jealousy. They're going to see you talk about your love for the Jewish people when they hate the Gentiles. And God says, I'm going to use that to provoke them to jealousy. But God then warns us. Jump down to verse 17. God warns we Gentile Christians. He says, if some of the branches be broken off, that's the Jewish people, and thou being a, and thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, that's our salvation, and with them partakest of the root and fatness of the olive tree, all that we have spiritually came out of Israel. Boast not against the branches. Don't boast against Israel. If thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root thee. Thou wilt say then, the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And thou standest by faith. Be not high-minded. But fear, for if God spared not the natural branches, take heed lest he also spare not thee. God gives us a warning. Don't you be high and mighty. Don't you look down your nose at Jewish people. Don't you make ethnic jokes of Jewish people. Don't, don't you belittle them. You stand in a relationship with God through a Jewish man Because they were cut out of the picture for a while in order that the gospel might go to the Gentile world. Don't be patting yourself on the back 
we believed in Jesus and they didn't. Because if he could set aside the natural branches, he can set aside you wild olive branches that got grafted in just as easily. Verse 22, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness. Otherwise, thou also shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. And so he begins to turn the, the thought towards the future. The fact that God will yet save Israel. Come down to verse number 25. For I would not, brethren, that ye should be ignorant of this ministry, of this mystery, lest ye should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness, in part, is happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so, after the fullness of the Gentiles be come in, all Israel shall be saved. As it is written, there shall come out of Zion the Deliverer, shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. For this is my covenant unto them, when I shall take away their sins. As concerning the gospel, they are enemies for your sakes. But as touching the election, they are beloved for the Father's sake. For the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. When God promised them the covenants of the Old Testament, God will never renege on those. By the way... If God could break his unconditional covenant with the nation of Israel because of Israel's unbelief, if God could not do something he promised to do because something else happened and God changed his mind, then how sure are you that you're going to make it to heaven? If God could break his promises to Israel, what's to keep him from breaking his promise to you? You realize that our eternal security is resting upon a God who cannot lie. And a God who cannot lie to you cannot lie to Israel. And therefore, the covenants that God made to Israel that were not conditioned upon their obedience, promises God made unconditionally, I will do this for you. The new covenant we looked at in the last message, God's covenant to save all of Israel if God can break that covenant with them and replace them with Gentiles, God can break his promise to you and replace you with somebody else and send you to hell. Our eternal security is resting upon a God who cannot lie, who will be held to the veracity of his word. And therefore, this whole issue of Israel is a very important issue to Christian people. So, what does he say then? In chapter 11, in verse number 26, he said, All Israel shall be saved. The day is coming when every Jew on the face of the earth will be born again. Now, we're nowhere as close to that right now. And it's going to take seven years of tribulation to get to that point. But at the end of the tribulation period, when Jesus Christ appears and his feet rest on the top of the Mount of Olives... Every Israeli person on the face of the earth will believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they will be born again. And the new covenant will be fulfilled by God as he promised. All Israel shall be said, that's my covenant. He said in verse 27, that's my covenant to Israel. 
I don't know how Reformed theologians can, can just cut up the Word of God and, and, and just allegorize the Word of God and, 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 and make it say something else. I mean, that's pretty, pretty plain. God says, my covenant with them when I shall take away their sins. That's why we looked at Jeremiah 31 before we looked at this. That covenant God made I'll, that I'll take away their sins, I'm going to do that. And even in this gospel going to the Gentile world, the Apostle Paul, the prominent figure in taking the gospel westward for 25 years, now writes and says, let me explain this thorny issue of the relationship between the gospel to the Gentiles and the status of Israel in the plan and purpose of God. He said they were the elect nation and they will always be the elect nation, even though they're set aside in the present. But they have a future because God will fulfill his promises to them as a people. Yeah, what an amazing plan. What an amazing plan. God, in all of his wisdom, God took this elect nation and he set them aside in order that the gospel might go to the Gentiles. And then, as the gospel goes to the Gentiles, he uses that to provoke the Jews to jealousy. And then when he comes back, he saves all of the Jews. That's what he said at the end of the chapter. Look at verse number 33. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord? Who hath been his counselor? Who hath first given to him? And it shall be recompensed unto him again for of him and through him and to him are all things to whom be glory forever. Amen. And Paul said that's the answer to the thorny issue of what about the Jews. And the answer is they've got some rough days coming in the tribulation. But man, they are going to have one glorious celebration when their Messiah shows up and they bow at his knee. And every one of them are born again. And God's covenant promises will all be fulfilled. What an amazing God that we have who designed the salvation of people through the ages. Well, amen. There's no reason to be anti-Semitic. There's no reason to have a poor attitude toward Jews, toward the nation of Israel. God brought Israel back to their land, has been bringing Israel back to their land, re-established them as a nation, preparing the world for the second coming of Jesus Christ. We need to recognize God's hand in the nation of Israel, that she has a purpose and a plan. And we need to work against the anti-Semitism on university campuses and, and just in common talk around the water cooler. The Israeli people are an amazing people, and God has an amazing future for them. We need to be on their side, not as opponents to them.